Hello, my name is Delphine Goma. I'm a research assistant on the Our Voices 2 programme. Today I am joined by Abby Billinghurst, founder and director of Abienda, a social enterprise that works with young women affected by gangs. Abienda supports this young woman through a unique model that combines a solution-focused and competence-based approach with participatory principles and techniques. Abienda offers a range of services and training courses co-delivered by Abienda Young Trainers. In this episode, Abby explains how participation is central to the work of Abienda and shares her expertise on embedding participation as a model of practice in various professional cultures. We also talk about how Abienda's participatory methods are part of a wider contextual approach to working with young people, which acknowledges and addresses the wider context of young people's experiences. So welcome, Abby. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Duffy. Thanks for having me. I hope I can be of use and of interest. You will. Um, so to begin with, could you tell us a bit more about Abienda and what is unique about your model of participation? Yes, certainly. Um, well, as you said in your introduction, Abianda is a social enterprise that works with young women who are affected by gangs and with the professionals that support them. So we have um, a range of services and projects for young women, both London-based and we do national work as well. And we have our commercial activity, which is the sales of training, which is where, as you mentioned, our young trainers co-deliver our training products to professional audiences um, on a national basis. Um, when I set up the organisation, I wanted to bring about a culture shift in the way that services are delivered to gang-affected young women. For me, it wasn't good enough uh, that young women didn't feel safe, and still don't, arguably, feel safe to access services and seek support. It wasn't good enough that they don't trust that services can keep them safe. And as a result, they then uh, deal with the adversity and risk and harm they face within their peer groups rather than reaching out to professional support. Mm -hmm. Now, we very much work to the principle that if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But if it is broken, do something different. Um, and so for me, service provision wasn't working for this particular cohort of young women. So we needed to do something different, which is where we started as, as, as an organization and our approach. Um, when I founded the organization, I founded it on three defining decisions. The first is that we would be shoulder to shoulder with the young women that we were working with. The second is, is that we would have a model of growth that delivered social impact. And the third was that we were going to be a business and not a charity. And I'm, I'm not going to deal with the third one because I don't think it's as, as, as necessary for this, this particular conversation. But for me, it was really important that we're shoulder to shoulder with young women um, because no one walks in young women's shoes 24 uh, hours a day as young women do. No one knows a young woman's life like a young woman does. So it's absolutely right and logical that they would be embedded in our organisation. We're working in a collegiate and collaborative way with young women to understand the realities of their lives and ensure that young women are, are, are um, influencing the design and the delivery um, of our services. And when I mean a growth model that delivers social impact, for me, when I look at the challenges we face as a very small and growing social enterprise, for example, that we need new finance function, we might need a new commercial function, um, we need help with PR, marketing, etc. that mm. actually there's an opportunity there to bring young women into the infrastructure of what we're doing so that they too learn skills, business leadership skills across all of those specialisms. Um, as we grow as an organisation. 
So as we're growing and the organisation benefits, so too are the young women that we're working with. So we're not just delivering social impact through the services we deliver, we're delivering social impact through the very infrastructure and how we grow. Now that means that our trajectory of growth is often much slower than uh, organisations that are traditionally run by adult professionals. Mm. But for me, a, a, a decision I made at the outset was I'm happy with that slower growth if it means we can be loyal to those principles of participation right into the heart of our, of our organisation. Just very briefly, practically, um, on our model of participation, so I've talked to you sort of strategically and, and, and I suppose more of a governance level how we, how we um, bring in that unique model. Um, operationally, we, we and in, in delivering services to young women, we simply shift the central question. So we move from what we would call a traditional or a deficit approach that has a continuous focus on problem, where actually that young woman becomes the problem. Why is she so aggressive? Why is she so difficult? Why is she such a risk taker? Why should she keep going back to him, putting herself at risk? All those wonderful uh, uh, descriptions of young women's behavior that we regularly hear. Mm. And we flip the coin and we say, wow, despite the adversity that you have faced in your life, how have you managed to survive? Because actually in doing that, what we do is we open up a whole tapestry of, of resources, of strengths, of strategies that that young woman has been deploying in her very young life to navigate the extreme risks and circumstances that she, she does and that no one should have to experience. Um, and we help her to notice her own competence. Um, and that we see is a very refreshing approach for young women. And so our model, um, which pulls in the participation principles, is rooted firstly in youth work theory and principles. Secondly, it's rooted in participation theory and principles, so thinking about the work of, um, of, from, from Robert Chambers, um, who's our guru, um, along with Paolo Freire, I must add, in terms of the youth work principles and thinking about power and oppression. And thirdly, we bring in solution-focused brief therapy techniques. Um, and, and the principles that hold those approaches together is that we position young women as experts. We value the empirical knowledge and, and research that she brings from her life. But also that we believe that those people who are affected by a problem are best placed to find the solutions to that pro problem. So we're continually striving in everything we do to tip the balance of power in favour of young women and create spaces where actually they can take power and control and largely they're operating in contexts where they have very little power and control, it seems. So that's our, that's our, that's our model. <laughs> that's fascinating, Ivy. Thank you. And as you know, at the International Centre, we've developed a contextual safeguarding model, which encourages organisations to respond to the different contexts in which young people experience abuse. And the work of Avianda is a great example of this. Could you reflect on the role of participation as part of a contextual approach and why it is important for organisations to develop this model? Certainly. Well, first and foremost, the thing to say is that for us and our work with gang-affected young women, context is everything. Mm. And understanding how young women's lives play out in the different contexts and social spheres that they move between is absolutely essential to us being able to understand the risk and harm they face and how we can support them to navigate those and keep keep them safe. 
the, the young women that we're working with are typically high risk and high vulnerability. And so they're involved in a whole spectrum of experiences, whether that's county line activity, whether they're living in local areas where, they're gang where there's gang activity and they're adversely affected, whether they're in intimate relationships with gang members, where there's um, abusive dynamics of power um, and going on, whether they're being sexually exploited, experiencing sexual violence, whether they have family, in generational family involvement. So you can see already simply by their range of experiences, they are regularly in locations where we are not as service providers. And they're regularly in locations that it's very difficult for us as service providers to reach into and keep them safe. And so to get the empirical knowledge and understanding of those different contexts that young women are in and the harm and the risk that they face and also the fun and the hype and the drama that they experience it's really important that we hear directly from young women and that we are able to elicit the views of young women about these environments and this is where the participatory principles and approaches are so important um, because by applying uh, a participatory approach, by using those sorts of techniques where we are probing questions, where we're eliciting the views of young women, um, where we are allowing them to take power and control and to lead our processes, we're much more likely to get an accurate understanding of the realities of young women's lives and therefore we're going to be able to deliver much better services because we're responding to the realities of young women's lives as they see it mm. rather than creating services based on the assumptions we make as professionals and what we think is going on for young women and therefore what the plan we think the plan needs to be for those young women to um to, to keep her safe we we feel that if we can't get young women through the door to spend time with us in our services how can we keep her how can we keep her safe um, and so for us taking a different approach being competence-based taking a participatory approach where we're tipping that balance of power in favor of young women young women are much more likely to engage with us um, and help us to understand the different contexts within which they are moving in we've had some absolutely fascinating anecdotal evidence from young women um, about their experiences of county line activity, for example, and mapping out exactly the routes that they take and the different adversities they experience in different contexts, whether the context is public transport, whether the context is a trap house out in Essex. You know, we, we can't understand these unless we use those participatory approaches to really understand young women's versions of events. And in the field of sexual violence, protection concerns frequently override young people's rights to participation. Mm. Could you explain how participation is used to support the young women that you work with and how this informs a contextual response? We regularly, um, in our efforts to um, apply participatory projects um, and principles, have been faced with this dilemma that external professionals feel she's too risky um, to, to come in, she's too high risk, um, she's going to be too dangerous for the rest of the, for the group members. And actually we try and embrace that because we fundamentally believe it's those high risk, high vulnerability young women 
who are going to benefit from participatory approaches the most because it's those young women who actually are probably experiencing the greatest level of abuse and oppression and who have the least power and control in their lives. And so it's absolutely right that they should be given opportunity to access services and experiences where they are able to take back some power and control, where their views are valued and respected, and where they're seen as an active member and partner in the change process. So for me, it's essential um, that they're involved. And actually, to really understand the realities of young women's lives, it's those high-risk young people that we need, because they're our greatest resource in understanding the difficulties young people face and then knowing how we need to shape and iterate our services to be in service of them to the best that we possibly can. Um, it's interesting, one young woman, um, when I was talking to her about um, the impact of um, sort of our participatory strengths-based approaches and how that might be different than other services she's experienced, she talked about the fact that she felt like she was being treated like a human being rather than a street rat and that mm. those were her words and that she was being respected um, and that she was having her kind of critical thinking developed that we were she calls it planting seeds for her um, and and it allowed her to come to her own decisions rather than being told what to do um, which as we know you know young people generally but young women who are in exploitative situations are regularly told what to do where to go who to sleep with etc um, and so having a participatory approach um, that's asking her to think critically in the different contexts that she's moving in um, means that she can start to feel much clearer, much more competent and skilled. And surely that's what we want for our very high risk, high vulnerability young people. And how did you embed participation as a model of practice within Abianda? Well, I'm a youth worker. Um, so I just automatically have it in my blood, I suppose. <laughs> um, we know that you know youth work theory and participation theory very much go hand in hand. I'm quite geeky when it comes to kind of a theoretical understanding of those two things, and then also how we weave in our solution-focused therapy techniques. Um, but I think the important thing to say here is that in the actual founding of the organisation, um, we were very, very clear that those were the principles that we would work towards and not just by doing one-off participation projects, not just by doing the odd consultation here and there with young women, but actually from the very minute interactions that we might have with a young woman, for example, by a text or a phone call, right up to the fact that we've got a young women's business advisory group, we have are eliciting the views of young women in every moment and engagement that we have with them and for every decision, you know, process of decision making that we go through as an organisation. I mean, it doesn't always work as beautifully as that, of course, and there's always challenges to, to being really able to be loyal to those principles. But actually, we continually ask in our supervision processes, in our team meetings, how are we being in service to young women? And actually, are we being loyal to our principles? And so constantly being reflective and, and, and going back to those um, is, is really important. And based on your experience, what would you say are some key things to consider for organisations wanting to embed participation as a model of practice, particularly working with young people affected by sexual violence and when developing a contextual approach? 
I think first and foremost to really understand what those things mean. What does participation really mean? What is a really deep understanding of that from a theoretical perspective? And what does a contextualised approach mean? Now, you know, the work of Carly Furman, University of Bedfordshire around the contextualised approach is relatively new. And to be honest, when 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 Carly started talking about this, it was music to my ears because suddenly there was a language for this stuff that we were seeing in practice. So in terms of the things to consider for organisations who maybe are a, a, a little newer to it, is really to understand it. I think, I mean, I speak to, and I say this with the utmost respect, but I speak to organisations and practitioners who are really passionate about this stuff and think that they get it, but actually the understanding often doesn't go beyond a, a, a sometimes superficial and tokenistic level um, of, 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 of the principles and theory underneath. Practically, I think that um, at board level, targets need to be set for CEOs and trustees and board members and executives who run organisations to make them accountable in regard to participation and thinking about um, how our service provision and responses fit for purpose based on the different contexts that young women and young people generally move between. Um, there needs to be decisions also at that senior level to make time and resources available to do it properly because beyond a tokenistic tick boxing exercise in regard to, to, to um, participation, this stuff takes time. I mentioned earlier that our trajectory of growth is much slower because we made the decision that we were happy to relinquish power and control to young women in the context of our organisation. And, and that decision had to be made at a senior level and not just reliant on practitioners at the front line to try and implement those sorts of principles. And so with that, you need patience. Organisationally, you need patience that you might not get to your targets as quickly as you would like to. And I appreciate that's a very difficult position to be in. Um, but also being really clear about how will young people's voices and views influence uh, decision making, how will their views play out in each area of your organisation um, and when does that stop? When do we say actually in this instance young people can't influence this because there's certain you know confidentiality issues, legal requirements etc that they just can't have a voice in this but then how is that clearly communicated to young people so they really get it and that we're not repeating patterns where they perceive they're being let down and disappointing, disappointed by services, which is probably what they've experienced in the past, which is in itself what creates barriers to them accessing services. And in addition to participatory methods, what other methods or considerations do you think organisations can be taking in order to develop a contextual approach and why? This is interesting because since the, um, you know, since um, you know the work of the, the, the contextualized safeguarding network has, has, has up and running we've been really reflecting on how we're embedding that approach in in our frontline services with young women really practically how are we doing that um, and interestingly about actually how do we yes we can talk about how we do that within our infrastructure and in our processes you know so for example in our safeguarding chronology logs we're asking questions about where's the context within which these risks occur um, and so we build up a timeline and a map of location um, and, and source of harm um, as well as the you know the, the risk for that specific individual um, but actually how do we talk to young women 
and young people about contextualised approaches, understanding risk and, and, and from a contextualised perspective, understanding power dynamics from a contextualised perspective. So what we're starting to do now is to embed in our practical tools that we use with young women in our programmes, those questions about context and asking them to expand their critical thinking into those contexts. So for example, if we're talking about young women about her relationships and doing some relationship mapping, which might follow you know, traditional exercises and ideas that people are very familiar with, we're saying, well, how do these relations play out in the different contexts? That you're working in, and um, sorry, not working in. That you're that you're kind of moving in between and, and within. It's really interesting to me also is that not only should we be thinking about her intimate peer group, school, community, neighbourhood, we should also be thinking about the context of service provision and how do young women. What are the risks young women face in the context of service provision? How do they navigate themselves in that? How powerful do they feel in the context of service provision? We do a huge amount of advocacy in terms of making sure young women's rights are met within that context and that she is participating within that context in order to contribute to her safety and, and, and the plans that are put in place around her. Um, I also think that um, we need to be thinking, and this is particularly pertinent for us in the context of gangs where there's a very uh, nuanced and ever-changing dynamics of risk, safeguarding issues to deal with, but actually how are our decisions as a professional network going to play out in the different contexts that young women move in and between? So when we're working in a multi-agency way that we do, and we're responding to gang-affected young women, how are we able to challenge and support our partners to think about their decision-making and how that might impact and, in fact, increase the risk for that young woman in the different contexts that she's moving, um, moving in? Um, but also not assuming, as a professional network, that all change lies with her as an individual, because that's a huge amount of responsibility to put on the shoulders of a young woman who's experienced extreme adversity, potentially abuse, oppression, etc. But recognising that in the different contexts and different um, uh, social spheres she moves between, she is going to have varying degrees of power, agency and choice in each location. Um, which will um, influence how she's able to make change in her life, but also a lot of that stuff is out of her control. And this is, you know, we, we hear this from 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 Carlin regularly, that she can't control so much stuff that's happening in these different locations, and therefore it's really unfair and actually setting her up to fail if we are setting plans as a professional network which we expect her to comply to, which are all about her making changes. Because actually the change that needs to happen needs to happen in the context that she's moving in. Also, expand it yet to another context is the context of policy um, and, and, and the, the policy decisions that are made at a central and local government level actually compound the difficulties and the toxic stress that young women are facing on their day-to-day -day lives and that she has very little or feels she has very little control over. One of the training courses offered by Bianda supports professionals to apply participatory and strength-based approaches in responding to child sexual exploitation. Which categories of professionals do you train? And could you give some examples of how they embed participation within different professional cultures? 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, our broad training offer is delivered to a national audience um, and we train in how to work more effectively with young women who are gang affected, CFC, you know, a whole range of, of different things. Um, and we will we'll train anyone and everyone who's going to con come into contact with young people and, and young women. So please, social workers, health, housing, voluntary organisations, education, you name it. Um, most re last year, we were really fortunate to be asked to co-develop a training programme with Camille Warrington at the International Centre at the University of Bedfordshire on behalf of research and practice. And that was looking at um, strengths and participatory approaches to responding to sexual exploitation. And we delivered that to specialist social worker teams and the CSE team in Wigan and Rochdale. We had some really interesting discussions about actually how can these principles, the participatory and strengths-based principles that are typically, I would suggest, uh, delivered and located in the voluntary sector within youth work, where it's the sense that there's more time to, you know, a bit more woolly, I don't know, <laughs> uh, to, to deliver this stuff. And actually, how can we embed those principles in statutory framework and processes? And yes, we always are confronted with a challenge of, well, we can't do this. We can't do this because actually we're bound by our statutory obligations. Um, and the processes that we have to go to, but actually some really kind of fruitful outcomes of that training were that those teams were starting to think really creatively about actually how can we adapt our assessment processes, how can we adapt the way that we create our plans with young people and families in order that they are delivered and implemented in a way that is expressing the participatory and strengths-based approaches and they've come up with tangible tools um, um, to, to, to do that and it's, I think it's really exciting model um, uh, that the, the, the ACT team and within Wigan and Rochdale and, um, uh, are starting to look at. Um, but it also I think that starts with a really, as I mentioned earlier, really deep rooted understanding of the principles and the theory and understanding what we mean by a strengths and participatory based approach beyond them being buzzwords. Mm. Um, that you know that commissioners are interested to hear. And what are some of the key barriers that professionals face when applying participatory and strengths-based approaches? And what advice do you give them to overcome these barriers? I, I apologise. I sound like a stuck record, but again, it's at first and foremost as an understanding mm. of, of those of those approaches and what it is you're trying to do. Understanding the extent to which you can and are willing to be participatory, and being really realistic and transparent about that with with young people. Um, I think that where we were fortunate in applying participatory and strengths-based approaches is that they were embedded from the outset. You know, take you back to those decision make the defining decisions I made when I first set up the organisation. So they've always been there. They're in the fabric and in the lifeblood of us as an organisation. I think it becomes harder for organising organisations and institutions who have been set up on a traditional basis where you have adult leaders um, delivering services. Um, it's much harder to kind of go back and retrospectively then embed these principles. It's absolutely doable and achievable and it should be done. But I'm just recognising then that that comes with difficulties and barriers at all different levels. So, for example, is there leadership buy-in? Um, 
you know, is it clear across the organisation what these principles are and these ideas are that you're trying to kind of move your ship towards if you're working within a large institution? Are your staff appropriately trained to understand these approaches? Don't just expect that, you know, when you use the word participation, people really know what that means in practice. Do they have the tools and the skills that, that, are, that are defined by a participation approach to actually deliver in their face-to-face -face work? And, and do they understand that actually it means a cultural shift and a culture shift and a, and a shift in the way that we think about how we deliver services and actually also ask us the, ourselves the question, are we actually willing to relinquish power and control to the young people that we work with? And if we are, to what degree are we willing to do that? Do you have any other reflections on participatory method and how these can inform a contextual approach? I think that they are essential. Participatory approaches um, are absolutely essential to being able to implement a contextual approach effectively um, because we need to understand uh, the realities of young people's lives and we can't do that unless we work in a participatory way with them. Um, and I also, uh, for us in our work, if we want to get young women through the door and to be in our services and our spaces so that we can at least contribute to keeping them safe, we need to find an approach that allows us to kind of reach into those contexts where they are, um, or at least help them walk away from those contexts where they are, which often have loads of pushable factors keeping them there, um, in order to spend time with us. And then once we apply a participatory approach in our face-to-face -face work with them where we're supporting that young person to think more critically about their lives, about the context within which they move and the different dynamics that they face in each of those contexts, arguably we're sending them back out into those contexts better equipped, more skilled, more competent and recognising their own competence to navigate those contexts more effectively whilst hopefully we as decision makers and, commissioners and service deliverers can work on making those contexts safer on behalf of the young people that we are we are trying to support. Thank you so much Abby, that was a really fascinating conversation. It was great to learn more about the work of Abienda and you gave us a lot of really interesting things to think about, so thank you. Thank you for having me, I really enjoyed it.